Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has it. McKinley Wright Welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Before we start talking buffs, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering 20% off your purchase on their website and their app. Use code BSN20 to save 20% and have it delivered to your door. Let's jump into the show. All right, guys, it's me, Henry, today with no guests, but I think next week we're going to have a pretty full slate. We'll see how things go, but right now I can tell you that Monday I will be having Matt McChesney on the show to talk some buffs with us. Uh, For those of you who don't know who Matt McChesney is, Matt played for the buffs back in the uh, 2000s, and then moved on to the NFL, where he played five years, maybe, uh, for a couple different teams, including the Broncos. Uh, he still lives in Colorado. He has a gym in uh, Centennial, 6-0 strength, where he trains football players, you know, high school kids, college kids, uh, a bunch of the Broncos offensive linemen train there as well. So he has a bunch of inside information. He's been talking to a bunch of the Buffs players who train there. 
um, while they're working out, hearing stuff about the new scheme, hearing all about what's going on up in Boulder behind the scenes. It's going to be a blast. He knows what he's doing on a podcast as well. He has his own show. I think he published his 41st episode on Monday, Sunday or Monday of this week, breaking down first the buffs, uh, a, a lot of offensive line talk, talking about the tackles, which I thought was really interesting, and then moved on to a recap of the Broncos' first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game. So if you want to hear a little bit more from Matt this weekend while we don't have any buff shows coming out, he has his uh, McChesney Unchained podcast through BSN Denver where he talked a bunch of buffs. Uh, and then if you want to stick around to listen to talk to some talk through some Broncos stuff, you can do that as well. Again, he will be on the show on Monday. Uh, it should be a great talk. I've never actually met him before. I've never been out to the gym. I'm really excited to get out there and see what it's all about. And hopefully we'll have a good talk for you guys. He has a bunch of time booked up so that we can just talk some buffs for as long as we need to talk some buffs. Excited for you guys to get to hear that. Uh, we'll try to get some more guests on next week. We'll have at least one or two more, but I want to fill up this schedule as much as I can. As we get closer to the season, there will be more and more guests because more people want to talk about what's going on with the buffs. Um, soon we'll start talking about, I mean, maybe we can find a time to have a show just talking about some of the other fall sports. Uh, you know, there's soccer, there's volleyball, there's cross country. They won a national championship last year. They deserve just a little bit of our time at the very least. We're moving along. Midpoint of camp is next week. I think today was practice seven, maybe practice eight of camp. Uh, I was out in Boulder, of course. Um, and before we start talking about some of the other stuff I want to get into, let's start by talking about what I learned in Boulder today. After practice, I talked with Jalen Harris. He's a uh, tight end, transferred to Colorado as a grad transfer, uh, obviously in his final year of eligibility. He comes here from Auburn and has a pretty decent track record and will likely be the starting tight end as we go into this season. And started six games, only caught three passes uh, over his, I think, three years at Auburn. And I talked to him a little bit about that. You know, I, I asked him, why'd you come to Colorado? And he said, because of Mel Tucker, which has obviously been a common theme. Uh, he's the head coach, so of course he's going to be the biggest deciding factor in these guys' decisions. But he had some interesting stuff to say. Uh, he's from down south. I think he's from Montgomery, Alabama. And he said that when he was trying to figure out where he wanted to go to school this year as a grad transfer, he talked to some of his friends, and obviously his friends, a lot of them played football down south, played for Mel Tucker, and said, if you have the option to play for Mel, you have to do it. He has your best interests in mind. He isn't going to use you. He's going to do what he can to help you get to the next level. That's your best shot. And obviously, you know, there, there aren't many guys on the tight end depth chart in Boulder who have experience. You look down the list, and it's guys like, uh, you know, Brady Russell and Bo Bisharat, you know, guys who it sounds like will contribute quite a bit this year, but there is room for somebody to step up, somebody like Jalen Harris, and I didn't realize how big he was. I mean, he's listed 6'4", 225, but it's like talking to a skyscraper. This guy is massive, and he said he wants to go to the NFL next year, and he certainly has the build to do it. He just needs the production, and I think that 
I think that he's a guy who's capable of producing. I tried to get him to say that there's going to be more targets for the tight ends this year. You know, I did say like, you know, aren't you concerned about it? Hoping that maybe at some point in the process, somebody told him, actually, we're going to try to throw the ball a little more to tight ends. I know I've repeated this stat a lot, but it's a wild one. Over the last three seasons, the Buffs have 18 completions to tight ends. Six per year. That's every other game. To be able to recruit a tight end to come here can't be easy at this point, just because they haven't gotten any of the attention. Jalen said he isn't worried about that. Uh, said, you know, he isn't worried about personal goals. He just wants to win games. He's having a blast in Boulder. Said he hiked once and he's never going to do it again. Didn't really like the effort, I guess. But he does enjoy, like, the mountains. He said, I think the quote was something like, it's almost like you're looking at a computer screensaver when you just look around Boulder, like with the flat iron sticking up out of the ground. So he seems he seems happy with his decision, which is what you want to hear. Again, he, he didn't really say that he expects a lot of targets, but he said, you know, we're going to spread the ball around and it's going to go where it goes. So some interesting stuff. Uh, he was excited to play in more of a pro-style offense. Another reason he decided to come here because it looks better to NFL scouts to see that you come from a pro-style offense. Usually those feature the tight ends a little bit more than the more college offenses, the spread offenses, the you know option offenses, but we'll see exactly how it goes. Couldn't pull much out of him in that regard, but we'll see. He also did say that he was pretty impressed with the way the tight ends had been practicing so far. Uh, he said that uh, you know Darian Jones has been a name that we've heard mentioned quite a few times from Mel Tucker, I believe it might have been Mustafa Johnson who mentioned it to me. No, it was Carson Wells who mentioned his name to me. Um, and now Jalen also said that he's a guy he expects to contribute this year. Something to keep an eye on. Darian is a senior, 6'6", 255. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, one more note from my conversation with Jalen. Jalen actually said that one guy who has really impressed him this fall camp is Vontae Chenault. And we've we've brought him up a couple times. Obviously, the little brother of star receiver LaVisca Chenault. Interesting to hear that uh, Jalen saw the same thing that we saw. You know, at open practice, when Vontae was getting open on these short routes, he's, he's speedy. Uh, he's a big guy, obviously. He got open on a couple corner routes as well. Made some plays, and apparently he's been making plays in practice as well. So that's a good sign. Still really, really don't expect him to actually get much playing time this season as a true freshman here. But that's one one guy to keep in mind as you look forward over the next few years at this receiver group that's going to feature, you know, Daniel Arias, who's had his name said a lot. He's really impressive. I got a, a quick peek inside the gate today after practice when I was just wondering around after the media session everything had died down there were a few guys left working on the field a couple corners uh one thing i noticed was daniel arias just catching bullets from uh blake stenstrom after practice from five yards out which is an interesting drill just like blake firing him as hard as he can at the guy's hands he's holding on looks good everything that we've seen from him has looked good he's just a big dude whether he fits in well this year or whether he's the replacement to LaVisca Chenault next year. We don't really know. 
but he's a sophomore receiver who could see some playing time despite all of the competition at that position. Um, moving along now to Mel Tucker's comments. It was a short media session today. Nobody really had much to ask him. Um, it lasted only about like two and a half, three minutes. And we heard him talk a lot about the scrimmage tomorrow, the first scrimmage of camp, of course, closed to the media. Uh, we won't get to see what happens, but he said this is really the only time. I think actually there will be one or two more scrimmages. I can't remember whether two or three scheduled, but those are the only times that they're going to go full speed and really simulate game-like scenarios. And he's excited to see, like we all are, who's going to stand out. And he said that a couple of guys in practice today in particular have started to separate themselves at the position battles. Um, so we're just, we're on our way. Midpoint of camp is sometime next week, maybe Wednesday-ish, right around there Thursday. Seems like it just started. As much work as camp has been, you know, going up to Boulder, writing a lot, recording a lot of podcasts, all this kind of stuff, six work days a week. It does feel like it just started, and now we're halfway through to the actual football season, which is really exciting. Uh, today on the show, I want to go through, and we've talked a lot about the schedule, uh, and I kind of want to finish that conversation off just by ranking the games that I think would be most fun to watch this season for the Buffs in terms of home games. You know, for you out-of-state fans who are wondering... When do you want to come down to Boulder and catch the Buffs this season? I, I have a list of options based on my opinions, and we can disagree in the comments if you guys want to. Uh, it's time now, though, to take a second and talk about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer, established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a light-hearted Kolsch ale, but for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned, and we will be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend, and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Like I said, I want to go through and talk about which games on the buff schedule I'm most excited to see. I, I, I keep wanting to say most excited to see at Folsom Field because I'm just going through the home games. But, you know, the, the Rocky Mountain Showdown is in Denver for some reason. Luckily, that's over. It just doesn't make sense. So let's get started. 
seven home games this season, if you want to call them that. The Colorado State game isn't actually a home game, but it's only 30 minutes down the road, so I included it in this list because it would be so easy for everybody to get to. Let's start at the bottom. The game that is probably the least exciting game that we will see this season in Colorado, Air Force. The Air Force game on uh, September 14th in Boulder. It's an 11 a.m. start, which means if you're tailgating, you're getting out there early Saturday morning. You know, it's it kind of surprises me that this game is this low. You know, because it's it's not going to be like a bad matchup. I think it's a game that Colorado could definitely lose. You look through some of the rankings. I think Phil Steele has uh, Air Force ranked 58th in the country with Colorado ranked right around 80th, maybe 82nd. The Buffs are going to be favored in this one. They're a Pac-12 school. They're at home. Air Force is kind of a gimmicky team with that uh, triple option offense. Which, I mean, that that gives them a bit of an edge because it's the only time you're going to see something like that. I'm just not that excited, even though it's an in-state rivalry. It's not a game that I have circled on my schedule. It's just going to be one of those. I mean, by the time you get through Colorado State, get through Nebraska, get to Air Force in the third week of the season, you just want to get into Pac-12 play because... Those two are the real rivalry games before that. Maybe Air Force turns into a rivalry. Maybe they can start something up again after, was it 40, 50 years that they took off? A long time. And it's going to take a while for this to actually feel like a rivalry, even though, I mean, they're only 90 minutes apart and they're both FBS schools. It just it just doesn't really get your, your adrenaline up hearing that the Buffs are going to take on Air Force. Uh, Moving along to number six on this list, Colorado State. I know there's a bunch of reasons that this game could be higher on the list. You know, it's a primetime game, 8 p.m. at Mile High Stadium. It's the first game of the season, first time we're going to get to see Mel Tucker. It's a a rivalry game, and I kind of do want to put higher on this list, but it's just one that's tough to get excited for because it will be pretty lopsided, at least in my opinion. There's certainly some upset potential here, but it's an upset that if it actually does happen, then it's going to be the Colorado State fans they are having a good time. Like, if you're a Buffs fan, you want to go to this game because you think that the, the Buffs could legitimately win by 20 points, 30 points, because they're just more talented than the other team. If it isn't that way, then it's just going to be kind of a disappointment. Sure, it could be exciting, but if it's exciting, then that's kind of a bad thing looking forward in this season. And a blowout that, you know, if if this game is a quick one and ends in three hours, then it's over at 11. And then you're getting home late. If it's a game that actually does go like four hours, like some college football games do, then you're not even getting out of the stadium until midnight. And that's just no fun. It's not at Folsom, which is part of the experience I don't know what the tailgating scene is like for the Rocky Mountain Showdown in Denver, but I I can't imagine it's nearly as good as having this game on campus. This is one of those games where, to me, it just feels like one you want to get over with so that you can move past this era of this rivalry. Because on paper, this sounds like so much fun. These are the 
two premier FBS programs in the state and they're playing each other in an NFL stadium, kind of like bringing the whole game to the attention of the entire state. But in practice, it just doesn't work. You know, this is something that when I was growing up, I thought was really cool. But at this point, just like it just doesn't make sense. You know, you don't have the tailgaters outside. I can't imagine that it's anything like having it on a college campus. It almost just it, it's like a bowl game almost in that. Sure, you're going to draw a bunch of people from Denver because this is the easiest chance they'll have to watch college football. You know, they don't have to drive the 40 minutes to Boulder. They don't have to drive whatever the hour to Fort Collins. It's just right there and it gets hyped up. But that means it isn't quite, it isn't the diehards who are there. Where, as if you had this game in Boulder, then all of a sudden it's Colorado football fans, like University of Colorado football fans, instead of just football fans who happen to be in Colorado who are there. The energy is different. And it's not even just different, it's worse. This is my understanding. This is kind of what I've seen from watching it on TV. It's not fun to have this game at Mile High Stadium, even though in theory it sounds like it would be. It's got to move back to Boulder, and that's kind of the big reason it is number six on my list, even though it is, you know, the primetime game on ESPN, kicking off the season, kicking off an era with Mel Tucker at coach. It's just not as easy to get up for as a lot of these conference games. Number five now, uh, against Arizona on October 5th, coming off the bye in Boulder. This is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a fun one for a couple of reasons. The first is Khalil Tate. Khalil Tate could be a Heisman contender. I don't think he will be. He flopped last year. I don't think that he can bounce all the way back up. But I do think that he can be one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and he will be a lot of fun to watch. It's also coming off a bye for Colorado. It's uh, the week before the bye. They play at Arizona State to open conference play. So this will be the first Pac-12 game in Boulder. This will be the first football game in Boulder in like three weeks. That kind of will add some tension, you know? There will be, people in Boulder will be excited to get out there. The energy should be good. It's the beginning of Pac-12 play. I think that there's a good chance that in the four games before this, they beat Colorado State, they beat Nebraska, they beat Air Force, they beat Arizona State, and all of a sudden they're coming into Boulder for the first Pac-12 game in Boulder, 4-0, and two wins away from bowl eligibility, when it kind of looks like that there's no ceiling to where the season could be. This will be an interesting time, and this is why I, I let Arizona edge out Colorado State. You know, there there is a decent chance that they don't get all these good breaks, that they aren't 4-0 at this point. You know, Nebraska is a game they could lose. Arizona State is definitely a game they could lose, even though I think that they do have the more talented squad. This Arizona game, taking on Khalil Tate in Boulder, it's going to be fun. Plus, early October, you don't have to worry too much about the weather. But it still just does not quite make the top half of this list. Uh, number four, Washington. You know, this is a game that's probably not going to be quite as much fun for Buffs fans at the end because they don't have a great shot of winning. But at the same time, this is a great Washington squad who I think has a real chance to make it to the college football playoff. At the very least, they should be, I mean, one of the three favorites for the Rose Bowl spot out of the Pac-12. 
it's going to be between Washington and Oregon for that uh, spot in the Pac-12 title game from the North. This is going to be a fun team to watch, and that's why they get moved up above Arizona. Even though the game likely won't mean as much, the odds of the Buffs holding on to you know, a, a solid standing this late in the season isn't great. I mean, odds are they'll they'll have four or five wins at this point. Maybe they have six. They probably need to have six at this point if they want bowl eligibility because the end of the schedule is tough with Washington and Utah. But it's fun to see good football teams, and that's why I moved them up this list. Um, you know, I've said a couple times I do think that there's a chance for an upset here. It would be a massive upset. And if you were actually to bet on the Buffs to win this game, you could win some serious cash if you say they'll do it. You know, it's it's not just a game against a good team where you throw in the towel and say, you know what, you're not going to win. This is one that they can go out and play for because they were close at the end of the game last year. And there's a talent gap, but that just means that there's potential for the upset, which would be really exciting. That's number four. Moving on to number three, Stanford. The week before, actually two weeks before, there's a buy-in between. But this is another Saturday game. Time hasn't been announced for most of these Saturday games. But the difference between Stanford and Washington is that Stanford isn't quite as good of a football team. And I think that makes them more beatable while also being a team that's fun to beat. You know, beating Air Force, sure, it's cool. In-state rivalry, you need to get the win. But that's not a game where afterward you're celebrating because you beat Air Force. That's probably just something that you should do. Beating Stanford is a big deal. A really big deal. This is a good football program. They they can run the ball. They have David Shaw, a very experienced head coach. If Colorado takes down the Stanford team, that's a good win because they are not going to be favored. I'm not sure what the line is, but I bet, I bet you know, Vegas gives Colorado maybe six, seven points here at home. Maybe a little less than that. It'll depend a lot on how that season plays out. It'll be interesting, though, because the Buffs are also coming off a game against UCLA, which I think is a game that they can win. Build a little bit of hype, build some momentum coming into this. This is a game that I'm really excited for, seeing Stanford in Boulder, potentially with bowl eligibility on the line. This might be their last that's their last best chance to really gain a win at the end of the season before they take on Washington and Utah. Number two, USC. Uh, October 25th. It's a great time for some football weather. It's a Friday night game, primetime game at Folsom. You're playing USC, a team that Colorado has never beat before. What I think I said they played 13 times. The average deficit's 20 points. That could change. This isn't a great USC squad. It's one of the worst that we've seen. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think that this, it's not a 50-50 game, at least as of right now. Maybe by that point, Colorado's gone on a bit of a run. Maybe JT Daniels doesn't take a step forward at quarterback for USC. And so they aren't looked at in the same light that they're looked at right now. But as of right now, USC is a favorite. And it's there's something about beating USC that just means more than beating almost any other team in the Pac-12. Like, sure, it's cool to bring down Washington and Oregon because they're they're kind of the giants of the conference at this point, but USC has been one of the giants of college football for forever. They're an icon, and if you beat them, that's a lot of fun. Uh, it'll also be the first time that the 
but it will be the second uh, Pac-12 conference game in Boulder of the season after only it will be this after one in the first four weeks of conference play. You know, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun to see whether the Buffs can actually get the job done this time. And I think that there's a good chance that they can. But again, halfway through the season, we just won't know. At that point, though, you've played Colorado State. That's a win. You've played Nebraska. Who knows? You've played Air Force. That's a win. Of Arizona State and Arizona, you should pull at least one of those. You know, the, the Buffs should be in a decent standing. And maybe they do pull an upset over Oregon or even Washington State. And you're walking into this week thinking, okay, bowl eligibility should be something that we can figure out. If we win this, then all of a sudden we're we're a couple good breaks for Colorado, a couple bad breaks away for some other team of making a run at a Pac-12 title. So it'll kind of be a turning point of the season because after that is when the season kind of gets tough. Sure, you have UCLA, but that's three teams that you probably shouldn't beat, but you know maybe you can. Number one, of course, Nebraska. Second game of the season, first game in Boulder after opening the season in Denver. I don't need to explain why this is the most exciting game of the season. This is the one you want to get to. I just ran through StubHub before I went on here just to see whether ticket prices line up with what I was saying are the best games. So we can go in reverse order again. If you want to get in, all these prices are before fees. If you want to get in the Air Force game, $19. Colorado State, $30. Arizona, $19. Washington, $13. Stanford, $16. USC, $24. Nebraska, $270. That's wild. I mean, I, I was just curious, so I ran through. And I was looking, well, you know, USC, uh, second highest ticket prices in Boulder. The game in the Broncos Stadium is more expensive. But if you want to go that USC game, you want to sit in like the second row behind the, the the Buffs bench at the 50-yard line, you're paying like 230 maybe 200 bucks for those seats. Less than it costs to get way up in the back corner for this Nebraska game. This is going to be something. I'm obviously really excited for it. It'll be my first ever game at Folsom, which is just wild. I got lucky. But, I mean, that 1.30 afternoon start, sure, primetime games are fun, gives you all day to tailgate, but at the same time, there's something about college football that just makes it feel better when you're starting in the afternoon, you know? This is a classic matchup, played at the classic college football time. Two teams who hate each other. You know, obviously the fan bases hate each other, but in talking to these players, they get it. They they get what Nebraska means, and that's going to be so much fun. If you can make it happen, if for some reason you have 270 bucks to blow before fees, I mean, those fees are going to be, what, 15, 20% of the price, probably 20%. All of a sudden, you're paying over 300 bucks a seat just to come watch this college football game when, I mean, you can get into Washington for $13. That's wild to me. I'm so excited to see this game. This is going to be the game of the year. It's a 50-50 game. There's going to be a lot on the line. Nebraska, there's a good chance that they're ranked at this point. Colorado wins. Then they're in a great position to find themselves ranked in a couple of weeks. You know, Colorado State, like I said, that's a win. Nebraska, assume they win. That's 2-0. Air Force, they win. 3-0. Arizona State, Arizona, those are both winnable games. All of a sudden, we're talking about the Buffs starting the season 5-0 again. 
and maybe from there they can build some momentum, steal a couple games, and turn this season into something special instead of just another season, which is probably what you expect. I mean, new coaching staff, new all this stuff. This Nebraska game, though, that's a turning point. That's where the Buffs can really make a statement. Uh, that's all I've got for you guys. Just to run through the rankings one more time, if you're looking for a game to come to, Nebraska, USC, Stanford, Washington, Arizona, Colorado State, Air Force. It's crazy that the in-state rivalries are at the bottom, but when you're playing in the Pac-12, these are schools that are going to be fun to see with some dudes who are going to make noise in the NFL. We're excited to tell you now about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. First question is coming in from NYTJ Buff Fan. Henry, Ryan, thank you once again for the solid content. Keep it coming. Now, in all the talk about Visca potentially being a punt returner, I continue to hear fear in people's mouths. However, it isn't the right kind of fear. It is fear of Visca getting hurt. If somebody took the time to research injury statistics over time, especially since the implementation of the Halo rule on punt returns, I put dollars to donuts that injuries on punt returns are not more frequent than injuries on any other play in the game. You know, that's interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised to see the same thing. Kick returns are a whole whole different animal. If you put him back there on kick returns, then you're just asking him to sprint straight forward as fast as he can and just wear a defender at the end of the run. Makes sense that guys get hurt there. Punt returns, though, yeah, there's more wiggle, especially if he's smart about it, especially if he takes the time, gets coached up, and understands don't take unnecessary hits. If you see a lane that you think is worth trying out, worth trying to break a punt for then go ahead. But avoid contact if you don't see a clear running lane. You know, something like that, where you need LaVisca to be smart enough to understand the game enough to not take hits when he really doesn't need to. But if there's an opportunity, then sure. Um, Still going. So I posit that the fear we should be talking about is the fear the opposing team will have when they see Visca back to receive the punt. You all spoke about Nikhil Harry and how Drew Lewis hit him hard in the CU game. You neglected to mention the 92-yard punt return Nikhil had against USC, a game Arizona State won 38-35. Without that punt return, ASU loses that game, and who knows about the rest of their season. So true. Okay, further, playing scared just doesn't seem to be what Coach Tucker is about. Playing scared was what Coach McIntyre was about, and his team aligned with that thought process. So why not play aggressive, attacking, relentless football and stop with all the what if Visca gets hurt discussion? What if Visca returns a punt for a touchdown and we win the sixth game to be bowl eligible? What if Visca becomes such a punt return threat that he caused punters to shank punt after punt and the offense gets better field position, flipping the field and flipping the game? Let's just focus, or let's just, as Coach Tucker has done, focus on why not Visca, as Coach Tucker has done with CU when saying, why not CU? Signed, frustrated that CU media and fans are scared. P.S. Dimitri Stanley may turn out to be just as awesome a returner, if not better, 
It is in his genes. So this isn't about Visca versus Stanley, but the constantly scared approach many fans and media are bringing to discussion. Also, he adds that we should add an edit functionality. Seems fair to me for these comments. Um, you know what? The more I think about it, the more I'm on the same page. When you first hear LaVisca's punt returner, the, the natural inclination is to be scared because that's kind of the way the discussion has turned over the last, whatever, 10 years maybe. When teams have stopped putting their primary guys on punt return, but but there are exceptions to that even. You know, back before that, people would just put whoever they think is the best returner back there, worry about injuries and stuff later. In the NFL now, I mean, you see Antonio Brown return punts. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson. Tyreek Hill returning punts and kickoffs because he's great at it. You know, he could get hurt. That could keep probably the best receiver in the NFL out of the league. But it's just... When you have a guy like that, why don't you use him? You look across college football the last couple of years, and Jabril Peppers, they aren't saying, oh, no, this is a guy who we can't let get hurt because we need him. They're saying, this is one of the best players in college football, so let's get the ball in his hands as often as we can. Christian McCaffrey, the same thing. Uh, it's just, It's just about understanding the risks because there are risks, and there are risks with any other any hit that you take in a game you know i'm pretty sure i said this on the podcast doing a podcast is weird because you forget like this morning i spent 45 minutes talking with all the bus reporters you know adam munster tiger pat rooney uh justin guerrero from rivals you know we all have these same conversations talking about the team and you know similar debates like should lavisca be returning punts and so you kind of forget like what you said to those people, what you said on the podcast. I'm thinking about need to start taking like a notebook. But, but, you know, he takes hits all the time. He takes hits when they run him into the line of scrimmage when he's running the ball in Wildcat. He takes big hits when he's blocking, when he's just diving at defensive ends. And a smart defensive end knows, well, why don't I just hit him? because I'm probably not going to get to the quarterback for a sack anyway. Let's just lay an extra hit on LaVisca Chenault. You know, not trying to hurt him, but make him sore. You know, if he hurts his arm a little bit, it's he, he doesn't quite have the fluidity in it because he took a pop to the shoulder. Maybe late in the game when he goes up to catch a pass, his arm just isn't responding the way that it normally does. You know, that's just the way football works. Guys get worn down. And you have to think about what is worth getting him worn down for. That's one of the big reasons I don't like those little screen passes that they threw to him consistently last year because you're you're asking LaVisca to take a hit in exchange for a five-yard gain. And sure, sometimes he broke them for more, but sometimes they were less too. Five yards is not worth a hit to LaVisca, in my opinion, at least not the way that they were using it last year. When LaVisca's taking hits, it should be when you're throwing the ball 10, 12 yards downfield. It's it's an interesting conversation, and I would love to see some stat nerd go through and say, hey, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson was taking this many hits per game. Uh, somebody else was taking this many hits per game. And just kind of see what those numbers are like. See if there's like a drop-off point where, you know, if, if a guy's taking 100 hits in a season, he's usually missing one or two games. If he's hitting or taking 50 hits a season, you know, something like that. Just you can kind of compare, kind of see what it looks like. Because right now... The Buffs are asking La- uh, LaVisca to do a lot. 
And I think that that makes sense because he's their best player. And if they don't, then they aren't going to win many games. It's about finding that line. And to be honest, I'd rather see him returning punts than blocking. I'd rather see him returning punts than most of the Wildcat plays. And maybe, I mean, there's there's a mix somewhere in here where it's healthy and where it's safe and where the Buffs can maximize having LaVisca Chenault on the team for the last year that he's going to be in Boulder. I'm excited to see what Mel Tucker does. And I agree with your comment that I don't think he's nearly as scared as a lot of fans and media members are. I think he understands. I mean, he's coming from a place where the expectation is winning a lot of games. And he's been in those situations for a while where, you know, it's Georgia, it's Alabama. He's coached with Ohio State. He's coached in the NFL where that's just like the expectation where you don't go 500, there's a good chance you're losing your job. It's interesting because it's not that I think the Buffs have been complacent in the last couple years, but I don't think that they've had the same drive to win where, you know what, you you keep LaVisca safe you keep them healthy and that's one of your priorities because if you do that maybe you can still flirt with bowl eligibility that's not what mel tucker is thinking mel tucker is going into every game saying we need to win this game and we are going to do what it takes to win this football game because that's what the culture is like at georgia and that's what the culture is like at alabama and that's why the buffs hired him to bring that culture to colorado so before the rams game i bet i bet he's going to say yeah LaVisca's our punt returner because he's the most explosive guy on the field. He's going to get the most yards. He has the highest upside there. And sure, he might take a couple hits. Maybe maybe we don't send him into the line of scrimmage as much. Maybe we don't ask him to block as much. Maybe we take away a couple of those shorter passes and say, you know what? You're actually going to take a lot fewer hits because when we target you, on average, you're going to be 15 yards downfield. Sure, there'll be a couple bubble screens. They'll bring that average down, but the average is 15 yards downfield. Whereas last year, it was like four or five. It's, I, I think that there's a way that they could get so much more out of LaVisca this season that includes using punts while also putting him at less risk for injury. Because last year, it's, they really didn't minimize the, the injury potential because he was taking so many hits they just didn't put him back at punt and kick returner. And I think that when you look at teams that are successful, a lot of the time they say, you know what? Here's what we have to do to be successful, and we have to get lucky doing it. That's the case putting LaVisca at punt returner. And that's why I think I'd like to see it happen. And you know what? If they're up against Colorado State, they have a two-touchdown lead in the third quarter, then maybe that's a situation where you pull them. The game isn't decided by any means, but it isn't worth the risk at that point. Going into every game, though, you have to have the game plan that gives you the best odds of winning first and worry about everything else after. That's my view. Moving on now, though, to Ryan J112111. Oh, I like that. Uh, Hank, love the work. I appreciate your outsider view. And clearly you are prepared uh, through film and heavy research, which is no small task. I was curious what you think, how many difference makers this team has as of today. Not who may develop, but the guys who are well above replacement level as we enter week one. So LaVisca Chenault. LaVisca Chenault is m much better than anybody on the Buffs roster at receiver, at tight end, at running back, at H-back. 
that's who he is. Probably a punt returner too. And just to finish off this punt returner conversation, Dimitri Stanley, yeah. I think that he could be a guy who thrives back there. And if he's if he's as good as LaVisca, of course you put Dimitri Stanley back there because you want to limit those hits wherever you can because it means that you can ask him to do more in other areas where he gives you a better advantage. If it's close, then still maybe you give it to Dimitri. But I believe LaVisca is probably by far the best returner on the team. Good teams put their best players in as many situations to touch the ball as they can. Yeah, we can we can move on now. Who is well above replacement level right now? It's tough having not watched uh, any of the practices. I mean, we got the one open practice, but there's only so much you can learn because you get out there and you bring your notebook and you, you start looking at the offensive line and then you see another drill going with the receivers. And you're like, oh no, that might be more meaningful than this one. And you feel like you have to get a take on everybody. So you're just like circling around and don't get to like key in on one group for an entire practice like you'd like to. So that you can have like a real sample size to pull from. Without seeing practice, it makes it interesting because so many of these guys are new and it's tough to say that we aren't projecting. But we do have LaVisca Chenault. I think Katie Nixon as a number two receiver in the Pac-12 is in that conversation as well. I don't know that it's clear cut, but he, I definitely have him in the top half of number two receivers. Um, Jalen Harris is a guy who could be there, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, we'll come back to the offensive line in a second. Mustafa Johnson, obviously. Nate Landman, obviously. That's probably it. You probably say LaVisca, you say Mustafa, you say Nate, and then Katie Nixon is right up there. But there, if you go just a tiny bit into projections, then it opens up a lot more. Because William Sherman at tackle, he was honorable mention all Pac-12 last year as a freshman. I think, I think that that might alone mean that he should be... Uh, somebody who's clearly above replacement level going into his sophomore year. He's a guy who it's, it's not that I like hope to see a jump from him. It's that I really, really expect him to take another step. And I would be surprised if he isn't one of those guys, if that makes sense. Um, Arlington Hambright is also in that conversation. Tim Lenot, you know, he's a guy with NFL potential. Obviously Steven Montez is right there too, but there's a little projection. There are all these guys who I feel like it isn't a lot of projection to say that they will be well above replacement level. And if you're saying guys who are clearly the best option at their position, I think I think Terrence Lang is in there. I think Jalen Sammy's in there. I think Carson Wells, they're better than replacement level. They're better than the replacement options that the Buffs have. Steven Montez for sure is. You know, you can say give him a short leash if you want, but... You're expecting to lose a lot of games if you start anybody over him because although he might not be one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and he may be, he's definitely the best quarterback on this football team. So yeah, it's an interesting question. Who with no projection you say, you know, is an all-Pac-12 player? That's LaVisca Chenault. That's Mustafa Johnson. That's Nate Landman. And that's it. Next question comes in from B Mixer, who says, In my opinion, Stanford is a better bet for a win than Washington. University of Washington has a ton more talent, and Stanford is overrated. If Stanford cannot run, they have no offense, and from last week, one tackle, quarterback, and tight end, 
does not make a good team. I, I, I think that's very fair. I think that that's definitely a more winnable game than Washington, but Washington is just such a good football team that has great postseason chances that that win would, I don't know. I, I, I like the value of calling that upset more just because it's a bigger upset even though there are worse odds it actually does come through. To go back to Stanford though, this is an interesting season for this team. Obviously KJ Costello returns as quarterback. He's a pro prospect. He's one of the best quarterbacks in uh the Pac-12. He's I mean he was second team all Pac-12 last year. That's that means you have one of the best quarterbacks. I don't think there's any doubt that he will be one of the best quarterbacks again. So you have that. You have the offensive line for him. Sure, you lose a couple starters, but Walker Little, like you talked about, is back. He was first team all Pac-12 as a sophomore last year. Now he's a junior. And there's a bunch of other guys to be excited about. They only return one other starter, but this is just such a big athletic group. And Stanford's offensive line is always so good that it makes you believe that they will figure out a way to make it good again. But just listen to how big these guys are. So the center is a little smaller, 6'3", 279. The right guard, 6'7", 287. The right tackle, 6'7", 314. That's Foster Serrell as a sophomore will be starting. Um, He was the number one recruit in his class at tackle. So there, you, you have the right side held down. You have a returning starter who is really good. You have this elite prospect. You go through, um, okay, I, I know I was doing the size. I'm going to go through this quickly. 6'3", 279, 6'7", 287, 6'6", 291, 6'7", 314, 6'7", 313. Four guys, 6'6", or bigger. Three guys are 6'7". That's wild. This group is so big. It's so athletic. They have the history of being great. Like, sh- you lose Bryce Love, and that's scary. They're starting a senior who really hasn't done all that much, they don't have too many young guys behind him that you're excited about. It's a lot of guys who just didn't get time because Bryce Love was out there last year. Who knows? I think that there will be running lanes. Just how well they take advantage of them, who knows? Then you get to the receivers. And again, it's a young group, sure. Osiris St. Brown, though. Sophomore, Simi Fioko, Redshirt freshman. Like This is just such a young group. And when you have these young groups, it it is a lot of projection. And it does mean that this team could flop. But when you have a veteran quarterback and you have David Shaw, a veteran coach, it just makes you think that they know what they're doing and they're going to find a way to win games. It's going to be a tough squad for sure. And then on defense, Paulson Adebo, who just matches up well with LaVisca. He's a long athletic quarterback. As a true freshman, was second team All-American. Now he's back for his sophomore year. He's a favorite to be a first-team All-American. And sure, I'm not taking anybody in a one-on-one matchup with LaVisca, but if anybody in this conference can slow him down, it's Paulson Adebo. So that's why I think that this is going to be a really tough game to win. It's, it's, not, it's not out of the question, though. Like This is going to be competitive. It's going to be very competitive, and that's why I have it as the number three game on my schedule because it is going to be... Very competitive. I also think it's worth noting, which I did when we broke down the schedule last week, the four weeks leading up to the game against Colorado, Stanford plays 
nobody in a bye, UCLA at home, Arizona at home, and then another bye. And there are a couple ways you could read into that. I mean, that's four weeks that should be four wins for this football team. Maybe that means they fall asleep, but again, with a veteran coach and a veteran quarterback, I don't think it does. I think it means they're well-rested coming into Boulder. That's going to be a really fun game with just a few weeks left in the season. And it's one that I'm excited for. Uh, one more comment coming in from Silver Buff, my guy. Just missing Jake and Allie. Fair. We're doing what we can to get the whole crew back on here at some point. We're able to get Ryan on. We're able to get Allie on for a minute. We'll see how it goes. Uh, that's all I have for you guys today. That's all I have for you guys until Monday. But on Monday, I'll be back with my guy, Matt McChesney. I'm really excited for you guys to get to know him. He's going to hopefully be a pretty pretty frequent uh, podcast guest. And we'll see what we can do. If you guys need a fix, I really suggest you go back and look out, uh, look up McChesney Unchained. It's a BSN podcast. You can find it wherever you find all the other BSN podcasts, whether you like to stream it through the app or do you want to go iTunes. I think it's on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, whatever. Take a listen to that. I think the first 10 minutes is Buffs Talk before he gets into Broncos. It's good stuff. Prepare you for Monday. I'm excited to let you guys know what 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 he's thinking. Uh, thanks again for riding with me. As always, leave your questions uh, in the comments and we'll talk about them on the podcast or even just leave a comment and say, hey, you should have whoever on and I'll read that too. Whatever you want. Chime in with these discussions. I believe we're still in good shape in terms of beating the Rams with subscriptions, but let's blow them out of the water. And the Broncos guys are ways in front of us. So... Scobuffs, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, gets you a free shirt, $10 off a year-long subscription, brings it down to $34.99. Just, just subscribe. You can also comment on the podcast, which is a lot of fun. That's all I've got. Thanks for riding with me. Bye, guys. I think they like my Colorado sway, cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. Patiently awaiting When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd do the wave Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid Cause you know we finna hit ya Hit ya, hit ya, hit ya hey, You on your own now, why you watching the official? You just better hope you make it to the next whistle And we ain't playing with you, you can get it anytime It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the last My Colorado swag in the middle Why?
we say we got them. If we don't, then we'll get them. When we see them, then we have them. like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. Man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag. I think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag.